This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 77. This week, we talk with Adam Driscoll about PowerShell, working with JSON and C Sharp, and buying Google.com. This week, we have Adam Driscoll. He is a Microsoft PowerShell MVP for the past three years. He's an application developer at Concurrency, and he's currently training for next year's Ironman. How's it going, Adam? It's going great. How about you guys? Good, good. That's pretty uh, That's pretty hardcore, the Ironman. Yeah, I don't know uh, what I'm getting myself into, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> You'll find out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then uh, Carl, so uh, Milwaukee Code Camp, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, this year is the first annual Milwaukee Code Camp. It's going to be on October 24th at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you'll be in the area, come on in. It's free. And I'll be speaking there on uh, Continuum. Hmm, even I can afford that. Okay, so this week we had some awesome feedback. So do you want to read this one, Carl? Yes, this week, uh, Craigers K got to us on iTunes review. He gave us five stars and he says he's been listening for a couple of months now after a coworker suggested the show. Uh, and he says, and more importantly, the guests are also very good and interviews are conducted and are well conducted and informative. I just finished this wee book. Did you? No, uh, <laughs> I think it's cut off on your oh, the, oh, episode. This week's episode on sketch notes and was impressed enough that he promptly purchased the book. If the show can convince him to spend money, then it must be doing something right. Yeah, very cool. yeah that's awesome. Yeah. Anytime we can like, you know, uh, funnel money to the guest too, that helps. Cause then we can get the guest that we want. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I gotta figure Adam's it out like, now. yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Adam, right. you gotta have something that's that you're selling. Problem. That's that's the key. <laughs> yeah. So once you come up with something, we can help you sell it. All right. So Craigers K won the Infragistics Ultimate license this week for that comment. And if you would like to, just reach out to us anywhere. Email at feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, iTunes, or Stitcher. We like those iTunes reviews, and they help us spread the show. Yeah, definitely. So, so that was, you know, a five, a five-star iTunes review. And I think those actually have the biggest impact on, uh, on people discovering the show. Uh, we see a lot of uh, discoverability and our numbers really go up whenever we get those iTunes reviews. So we really, really appreciate those. So thank you so much. Okay. So let's get into the news. We have a couple different things to cover here. So the first one is introducing USQL, a language that makes big data processing easy. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, Fingers crossed, though. <laughs> so I actually, I had, I had heard about this a few times, but I hadn't looked at it. And I started reading the article. And I'm like, okay, I'm completely confused. But if you scroll, I don't know, a third of the way down the page, there's actually, uh, it's showing the SQL syntax here. So it's like a, a SQL-like syntax for working with big data. And the thing with big data is it's, it's unstructured, right? It could be CSV files. It could be in whatever format. So this gives you what I think is a pretty... Uh, you know, if you're, if you've worked with uh, SQL server, if you worked with SQL queries, I think this gives you a reasonable query that you could understand to help you extract the data out of, you know, these various different formats and then use that to do this big data analysis. So I recommend taking a look at this. I don't know what your take on this is, Carl, if you have anything to add to it. Uh, but I think if, you know, for anybody who, um, is, is, you know, looking at processing a whole bunch of unstructured data, they need to take a look at this. Yeah, I just think that it's a, a nice alternative to doing something like MapReduce, which uh, sometimes people it's a little bit over their heads. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a little bit to learn, and this is something very similar to SQL. So I, I like that. Yeah, and, and things like Hadoop are really like Java heavy. 
So I always get a little turned off by that just because, you know, I have enough languages to learn. And, and uh, so that, that's always been a little bit of a, of a blocker for me, but having this be, you know, a little bit closer to what I'm familiar with, I think helps. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I think it's, uh, I think it's at least worth checking out. Uh, the next one here is clipboard.js. And it looks like this is just a nice way of making your clipboard easy to access in the browser, right, Carl? Yep. It's a JavaScript, uh, uh, Library. Again, yeah. library library that's on GitHub. And like you said, it, you don't need Flash. And, and that's huge because a lot of uh, the other implementations, you still need Flash in some way, shape, or form. And especially like on uh, like Edge, which doesn't uh, allow any kind of plugins like Flash or some of the mobile browsers, that gets to be really annoying. Yeah. And this, I, you know, what the first thing I did, well, first I looked at what, you know, I tried out their example, but then I actually went into the source code and yeah, it, it's just accessing the clipboard and putting things on the clipboard isn't quite consistent across the browsers. And there's a couple flashy things you want to do, like, you know, pop up a little uh, balloon that says that it was copied. And this library just um, handles all that for you. So you don't really have to think about it. You don't have to think about what the browser is. Anytime I can do that, that's a, that's a benefit for me. Yeah. The only thing is it's not supported on Safari, but other than that, it even goes back to like IE nine. Yeah. Wow. Which is pretty nice. Cause yeah, a lot of times the older versions of IE don't get any love. Uh, okay, so a guy bought Google.com for one minute. <laughs> so how do you buy Google.com? Uh, apparently, he was a, a former Googler who just kind of kept looking up. He was looking up domain names, and he's like, oh, let me check Google. And it had apparently let him go through with a transaction. Uh, <laughs> it immediately reversed it, like you said, about one minute later. But he said he was able to actually log into the control panel and uh, – you know, see all of the settings that were there. So whoops. He- <laughs> oh, wow. So I wonder if he actually had any control over it. Obviously he didn't go in and, and change anything. I but, think that uh, he could have, if he saw what he saw, I mean, yeah. he probably could have changed something. Yeah. So he found, he found some kind of bug. They gave him a bug bounty for it, right? Yeah. I think oh, did Google they? actually paid out for, for the mistake. Okay. That's very cool. Okay, uh, let's see here. The ability to screenshot a single DOM element coming to Firefox 41. So tell me about this, Carl. Yeah, so in their developer tools, you can actually you know, highlight uh, just one DOM element, like a, a list item or a div or something, and you can actually screenshot just that item. It'll crop it perfectly and give you that screenshot. It'll like screenshot node is what it says. And I think this is really cool because there's a lot of times that you're working on something. You just want to get a just a quick, you know, this is how it looks right now over to somebody and you know, it's kind of a pain. You, you might get the snipping tool, but it'll have all sorts of other stuff because you're not going to get pixel perfect or anything. Right. This just, just allows you to do that really nice, cleanly and quickly. It's amazing how these developer tools have gotten built up. Do either of you guys use Firefox on a regular basis? No, I'm more of a Chrome user. Yeah, me too. Um, but it, I, I know that, you know, Firefox had these, these really good tools early in the game. So I'm almost tempted to go back and, and take a look at where they're at these days. I do have it installed on, on one of my machines. And I think, you know, if you look at edge versus Chrome versus Firefox, it's almost like the, the gap between them has, has narrowed because all of them have a great set of developer tools. They're all pretty fast. Um, I don't know what the memory footprint of the three is or, you know, in any of those types of metrics, but, um, yeah, I guess the uh, the game's afoot, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, free lossless image format or FLIF. Yeah, there's a new image format out there called FLIF. And I think one of the really interesting things here is right now it beats every every other image format at everything. <laughs> 
And and I, I think <laughs> one of the confusing I think one of the confusing things like currently is like, okay, when do I use a PNG versus a JPEG? And yeah. I, I even forget like what's BPG and WebP, those are out there too. Oh, and for, hmm. Yeah. And this one out compresses them. It's lossless. And they're even they're even better at, you know, images with transparency than PNGs and, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they, they have a bunch of videos, which are actually kind of cool. That shows the, the compression and file size differences versus some of the other formats. I think it's just really kind of cool. Yeah. The video they have on here is absolutely mesmerizing. It's some dice and, and basically they, they show as the bytes come in, what's cool is it shows the whole image. It's kind of like the old um, progressive JPEGs were, where you actually see the whole image and then it just keeps getting clearer and clearer. Um, but not only that, it just, it's half the file size. So it, it comes in that much faster, but, um, you know, the thing with this, even if we all get excited about it, if, if it's not, you know, in your favorite browsers and, and, you know, uh, it has to be in all of them for a long time, we, we can't really use this. And I guess the other thing I'd, the only other thing I'd point out, Carl, is that, uh, you'd still use JPEG for like photos because this says, uh, it's comparing it to lossless JPEG, not the lossy JPEG. I'm guessing lossy JPEG still has a huge advantage to it. Although if it doesn't, then that would be pretty huge. But even at that, one of the other nice things is that this is unencumbered by patents as well. So Mm -hmm. um, there there are places where that's still an issue. So this is a nice uh, advantage that it it does have for the moment. Yeah. No, I I hope it takes off, but I'm not holding my breath either. Uh, and then the last one here, creating C sharp classes from JSON in Visual Studio 2015. And you know, this is something I've done a lot. There's a website out there. I can't ex- remember exactly off the top of my head. I always Google it. But JSON like, to Jason sharp. sharp. Yep, Jason to C sharp dot net or something like that. And it, I've used it in the past. And uh, I know you have some comments on this. Yeah, because I, I looked at this and I, I, I sort of had a, a lesson in this recently. So I've, I've been playing around with um, JavaScript and uh, actually TypeScript quite a bit. And I had a really similar problem to solve. So I had basically a whole bunch of JSON that I wanted to turn into an object, which is easy in JavaScript, right? Uh, you can just say, you know, JSON.parse. And you get you get that object model. And in TypeScript, I wanted to have some of those properties that were um, strongly typed. So I knew that, you know, let's say it's a, a person, right? And you know that that person has a first name and a last name. Um, I wanted to be able to basically code in those properties into that object and be able to read those things and have them come back as actual strings instead of being, you know, um, vars or, you know, just whatever the heck they are, right? Uh, basically dynamic untyped. So um, in TypeScript, this is actually pretty easy because you can do a, a type definition. And one of the types is, um, or you, you can you can put types on the properties that you're interested in and anything that you don't define just sort of passes through. Okay. So again, if that, if that person object has first name, last name, and let's say they have a third property called age, but maybe it's not always there, or it's just something I'm not interested in that age will still be there, but I can't access it in a typed way. But if I have code that wants to say like, Hey, is age there? I can pull it and I can check the type and I can do whatever with it. And sure age, you know, you think, Oh, well, person's always going to have an age. Okay. Well, there's other properties. Like you just don't know what other properties could be there. You don't want to destroy those. And the problem with the approach in this article and, and with, you know, sort of the, the C sharp, the .NET approach of having a, a full object defined is whenever you, whenever you deserialize that object into one of these classes, any properties that it doesn't understand is either going to error or it's just going to throw them away. 
So I think the the best approach to something like this is to keep that object dynamic. And I don't, I'd have to play around with it a little bit to, to get like a, you know, the right C sharp implementation, but I'd actually keep my object dynamic. And then I would basically wrap it in some getters um, that would give me that strong typing on top of it so that I can sort of pluck out the things that I want to be strongly typed. Does that make sense, Carl? Yeah. And it's, have you ever worked with expando objects? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's, you know, really similar to that. It's just that dynamic nature. Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's a couple of things there. One is that the, you know, working in a different language, uh, you know, sort of gives you these other ideas, having, having things be dynamic by default can make you work in a different way. So I would say if you, if you only work with dynamic or strongly typed languages, I would encourage you to learn the opposite type. That way you can, um, you know, just sort of expands your thinking on these types of things. And then, you know, the other thing is for, for this particular case, I think, I think there is a lot better, um, potential solution here. I mean, if you are just dealing with like well-known objects, then, you know, so be it, go ahead and, you know, do it that way. I know that the Newtonsoft json.net uh, library does let you, um, put these things into dynamic objects. And then you could theoretically, like I said, wrap that with a class where instead of properties, maybe it's like dynamic or not dynamic, but it's getters and setters that are basically wrapping those dynamic properties and pulling those things out. It's probably hard to understand on a podcast, but <laughs> But I think I think you guys get the point. Uh, so we yeah, probably talked that one to death. Any yeah, other comments I, on it or well, just in addition, I mean we talked a lot about JSON, but if you did have you know want to use this and you had some XML as well, it mm-hmm. can create your C sharp classes from XML. Yeah. Okay. That's Very funny. cool. So it's a pretty cool tool. Okay, so let's talk to Adam. Cause I you know, I'm strangely excited to talk about PowerShell. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you know it's it's sort of a necessity and and for me you know I I have sort of a love hate relationship with it uh-huh. but I actually am pretty excited to talk about PowerShell because every once in a while I've 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 had to look something up and I've done something in PowerShell that's kind of blown my mind so I'm just expecting you to blow my mind here for like 40 minutes so. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. maybe we should start uh-huh. with you know yeah we should start with you know like what is PowerShell so you know because there there might be like two or three people out there that that don't get what it is so I want to hear what your definition is. Yeah, so it's kind of like Microsoft's new flagship scripting language. So it comes built in to Windows nowadays. Um, they're currently on version 5 of PowerShell in uh, Windows you know, 10 and up sort of thing. Um, and it just integrates with everything. It's like the glue in between all these different... Um, key parts of Windows. I mean, uh, it works really well with like, you know, we're talking about XML, you know, things like WMI and COM. And they had a big push in Server 2012 to just get all these commandlets built for all the different uh, features and products inside Microsoft. So you have commandlets for Azure and Exchange and, you know, just, you know, built-in stuff like services and, um, you know, Windows Update, that kind of thing. So um, it's just all over the place. They have, I think, over like 4,000 commandlets or something like that in um, a stock version of Windows. Okay. Yeah, I use commandlets, and maybe we should talk about terminology too. Okay. Uh, Well, I guess, well, first, what is a commandlet? So a commandlet is just a, uh, you know, a verb-noun pair, and it's a command that you can issue inside PowerShell. So they have a bunch of uh, predefined verbs that you can choose from so that you kind of have a similar experience across um, different packages or modules is what they call them. So a set of commandlets uh, is a module. And inside those modules, typically they're like related to each other. Like you might have a storage module, you might have, you know, an Azure module, something like that. Um, and that's just made up of uh, these commandlets. Who should, who should be interested in PowerShell? 
I think anyone working on the Windows platform should be extremely interested in PowerShell. Um, I think at first it was a very big like IT tool, you know, um, and then kind of DevOps sort of thing. But I think nowadays they're pushing more and more to um, the developer audience. So you'll see in PowerShell 5 they actually added support for creating devs. So you can actually natively in PowerShell script create .NET classes just like you would do in um, C Sharp or VB. And uh, I think that is starting to appease the developer audience a little bit more. So, so how does yeah how does that work? I'm trying to I you know I get what PowerShell is in the C Sharp class, but how do they relate? Uh, it depends. I mean, if you're trying to like what I find myself doing in terms of a developer world, uh, usually I use PowerShell for deployment or testing. You know, um, .NET stuff. Like if I just want to kind of hack something out, what I usually do was or before PowerShell, I'd you know create like a C sharp console application or something like that, and I just wanted to you know write some code. Um, but now in PowerShell, you can kind of do something exactly the same, just right on the command line without having to open Visual Studio or anything like that. Oh, so it can just execute code from from classes, is what you're saying? Uh, you can actually write .NET classes in PowerShell, is what I was saying. So you can define a class okay. that is then invocable inside PowerShell in PowerShell script. Um, but you can also invoke C sharp classes, and you can load libraries and stuff like that, and um, you know interact with that net. Okay, so they're they're sort of you know they're 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 tightly related. Very very tightly related, yeah. Okay. So under the covers, the PowerShell engine actually compiles down to IL code, um, and um, so it's it's pretty fast. Once you actually have a script defined, it'll actually compile that script, um, and it's very similar to. Uh, what you'd see in you know a C sharp uh, IL code sort of thing. So okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And then you mentioned that we're on version five today, mm-hmm. um, which I I had no idea that we were you know that high of a version number. So yeah. what what changes between different versions, and can I can I upgrade? Like if I have like a Windows seven machine, am I going to be able to get PowerShell five? And and what am I going to get versus having four, for example? Right, so PowerShell 5, I believe, goes back to Windows 7. So uh, if you're running Vista still, you have okay. to get PowerShell 5. Um, but uh, kind of version changes, I think 2 to 3 was the biggest jump. They went from the .NET 2.0 runtime to the .NET 4.0 runtime. They added all kinds of stuff um, around uh, you know, the, the compilation of scripts like I was talking about and that kind of thing. Um, they also added Windows workflow integration so that you can, like, large deployments that are um, kind of long-running operations and everything like that. Um, PowerShell 4 brought on uh, desired state configuration. So if you've ever uh, been around, you know, like Puppet or Chef uh, around those desired state, you know, uh, systems, this is Microsoft's answer to that kind of stuff that's built into Windows. So you pretty much can configure systems um, based on this uh, kind of... um, I don't know, a DSL for configurations, and they're reusable, and um, you know you can uh, version them and stuff like that. So then you can kind of define your configuration for systems um, in that manner, um, and that's right. That's, so you're saying what? You, yeah, because you, you're basically defining what you want something to look like. Yep. You're not saying take these five steps and do it. That way, you don't have to, um, you know, go and figure out what's in what state. It it analyzes that right and applies what needs to be applied. Right. Exactly. So if something's already applied, it doesn't reapply it. It just checks to see if it's in a particular state, like IS installed. Is this website created? Are these files copied over there? That kind of thing. So instead, you're saying I need IIS and I need these files here and I need this thing over right. here. 
and then it figures out, you know, it might actually do nothing, right? If all those things exactly. are already done. Exactly how it works. Yep. Okay. I wanted to make sure I fully No, yep, that's that. exactly how it works. Yeah. So there well, okay. it's two things. You know, they they want to create deployments that are, you know, repeatable and everything like that. And then it's also to um, deal with what they call configuration drift, where, you know, you have some one of your administrators logs into a computer and all of a sudden switches some settings that are really important for your infrastructure. Um if you have DSC set up and you have the agent running on, um, you know, a set interval, it'll fix those settings and bring it back into, back into the correct state sort of thing. So, yeah. Okay. That's really cool. So okay. PowerShell five kind of, uh, builds on that. They added some more features around DSC and everything. Um, and then they bring in the classes and everything. So that's, that's really big. Um, cause you can define what they call resources in DSC. So a resource would be like, um, a windows service. So you check to see if the service is installed, you install the service, that kind of thing, but you can build your own resources using classes now. So, uh, just another method of, you know, doing that kind of thing. So, so does anybody build like an installer out of this then? Cause it sounds like a lot of the same things that an installer database would do. Um, MSI. not necessarily. I mean, you could technically, uh, I think MSI is a little more difficult, but it's also a little more, uh, I guess, well-defined and rigid sort of thing. So I think, I think PowerShell is a little yeah. easier to, you know, pick up and get running, but it might not, um, allow, you know, to roll back and, you know, versioning and all that kind of stuff really. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. I was just kind of, I was kind of curious after hearing about it. It sounded like a lot of the same features as an MSI. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of similar, but yeah, but I'd say it's more about deployments and stuff like that rather than yeah. Yeah, installations. Okay. Yep. So earlier you mentioned that these commands are in the verb noun format, you know, even so much as like I found a webpage that mentions all of the approved verbs that there are for PowerShell. Can you <laughs> tell us why it's like that? Uh, it's discoverability. So some people have argued that it's too verbose because you'll see some commandlets where it's like get Azure authentication mechanism, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like super, super, um, you know, verbose. But they do it for discoverability because you can say get, you know, hyphen tab, 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 and you can look through all the, the gets and that kind of thing. So, you know, you're not going to have a get and retrieve that kind of thing. So, you know where to start. Um, I think that's the main reason that it's in that format. And you'll actually get warnings when you import modules that have, uh, that are unapproved. So oh, really? They, yeah. So they're pretty, you know, they're kind of strict about So it's very know. frowned upon. Yes, exactly. Very much I'm so. I'm looking at the list, though. I mean, there's like, it's gonna be a hundred approved verbs here. Oh yeah, there's a, there's <laughs> there's always a verb that you'll be able to find. Sometimes you know you got to kind of you know pick one that isn't quite right, but I'd say most of the time there's something there that you can pick from. Carl, I gotta interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from infragistics, and this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for. Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio, too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and, you know, sell your ideas. 
Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. Another cool thing, and to me, this is always like a more Linuxy thing, is you know piping and using the pipeline symbol. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that's used in PowerShell? Sure. So uh, the big thing with Linux, though, is it's uh, string based. So you do a lot of you know yep. gripping and stuff like that. With PowerShell, you're actually uh, piping objects, so they have properties of those objects, and you can access them in a .NET fashion. So if you wanted to filter by, let's say you know you're getting the list of processes running on your computer, and you wanted to filter by maybe you know the max memory usage or something like that, rather than having to you know grep a table of um, you know strings pretty much you can actually check that property on that object just like you would any other dotnet object and being dotnet objects they have all the you know methods and props of dotnet objects so that you can do all kinds of things like you know string formatting and all that kind of stuff um just right in the pipeline yeah that's the that's the part that it kind of blew my mind whenever i figured mm-hmm. that out you know you whenever you do like a, a get operation because i i mostly use powershell for azure so I can get a list of all the services as an example or the the VM images, things like that. And they actually come back as objects. And whenever they get displayed, they get displayed in, you know, just kind of a, kind of a messy format. You know, it's just like a, a list hmm. of these things. And and what really blew my mind, though, is I could say, like, uh, I could actually um, pipe that to a where clause and I could filter it. And then I could pipe it to, um, I think it's like get table or something like that. I can pipe it to another command and I can say, I want to show this mm-hmm. as a table. And I can even sort and I can do those types of things. You just keep piping it. But again, thinking of these things as objects, I think is really cool because you can, you know, you can filter by one type of property and then you can sort by a different property. And those properties are just along for the journey. Like you don't have to sit there and like mess around and say like, I want these things. And like you said, grab and, and parse these things somehow. And that was the thing that, that really opened my eyes to the the power of PowerShell. Yeah, it's really neat. And it makes it easier to work with. Because then, you know, like I said, a lot of times, you know, they have the IntelliSense built in. So if you wanted to find out what properties you have, you just dot, tab, 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 and it knows what kind yep. of object it is, that kind of thing. So it's it's cool, yeah. Yeah, I, with Linux, I have to keep the, the browser window open and search <laughs> yeah, everything. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so PowerShell ISE, it's this uh, mysterious tool that's on my system. So if I, if I search for PowerShell ISE in my system, or if I'm in PowerShell and I type in ISE, this uh, magical editor comes up. So do you want to tell us what that is? Yeah, sure. So PowerShell ISE is, you know, the, the primary editor for PowerShell built into Windows. So uh, kind of the history behind that thing is um, they wanted an editing experience that, uh, you know, an IT administrator would have access to. They wanted to ship it with Windows because then they wouldn't have to worry about shipping, you know, this um, other thing, pretty much. Um, but because of that, it lacked features that, you know, other editors offer and that kind of thing. Um, it's come a long way from PowerShell to PowerShell, or PowerShell 2 to PowerShell 3. Um, they made a huge jump in the IntelliSense um, debugging features and that kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, so it's... 
it's there and it's 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 handy and um, I think it's good enough for a lot of people. Um, there's actually a product called ISC Steroids that adds a whole bunch of new features to it because it's got an extensible data model. So you can, um, you know, add tabs and buttons and commands and stuff like that. So um, there's a really, really cool product out there that actually makes it a lot better to work with. So it's PowerShell ISE Steroids? Yes. Or you can yeah, just look up ISE Steroids. and Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at that. ISE Steroids. Okay, cool. Well, include a, include a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Lots of powerful stuff around formatting and, um, you know, error checking around different versions because, you know, certain commands only work in certain versions of PowerShell. So to, like, check to see, you know, you know, is this command supported in PowerShell 3 sort of thing. So. so we've talked about a few good uses for PowerShell. Is there anything that PowerShell is really great for that we haven't covered yet? Oh, man, it's great for everything. <laughs> I I mean, as a dev, I use it a lot for testing my code so i might have you know um a dll that i'm built or something or a c plus plus com object something like that where typically i'd have to write some sort of test harness for um or you know i could use unit tests or whatnot but sometimes you need to do some sort of integration with it so what i'll do is use powershell scripts to do that kind of thing um, another really awesome thing that PowerShell does as of recently is interact with REST services. So it has a command like called invoke REST method where you can just pipe in PowerShell objects and it'll automatically convert them to JSON. And you can, um, you know, test your endpoints or, you know, consume web services really, really easily. Oh, that's really cool. That's something I'm always looking for. Yeah. So it's, it's a handy little function of PowerShell, I'd say. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So when might I just want to skip PowerShell and just do it in code? Uh, that's a good question. Um, sometimes... He's going to be like, never. All right. <laughs> PowerShell, all the things. PowerShell, 100% of the time. Yeah. No, I, I find it where people start, you know, trying to write GUIs in PowerShell. I mean, there's libraries out there like Show UI, which makes it way easier to make WPF GUIs and stuff like that. But people will have a tendency to write forms and stuff like that. And it can be hard to maintain that kind of stuff because really you're not dealing with PowerShell at that point. You're dealing with a lot of just .NET code. So at that point, it's like you might as well just want, you know, write, write C Sharp in an editor built for C Sharp um, sort of thing. That's where I find it becomes cumbersome when you're just trying to deal with raw .NET stuff um, when you could just be writing that somewhere else. Plus, there's, um, I don't know if you guys, you know, with Roslyn, there's script CS, which is like, you know, a command line version of um, C Sharp where you can kind of do a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, maybe it's worth comparing it to that as well. I mean, I, I've heard of that project. I haven't really played around with it, but yeah, being able my understanding is I can just throw some some C sharp code into a file and that's basically a script. So, you know, should I just do that and skip PowerShell or, you know, I, I never quite know when I should actually take a look at script CS. Right. I'd say if the big benefits of PowerShell are around the commandlets and some of the ecosystem stuff where, you know, dealing with WMI in C sharp is a lot more difficult than dealing with WMI in PowerShell, that kind of thing. Script CS is really good at dealing with .NET code and just, you know, C-sharp code sort of thing. So I think, you know, a lot of developers are a lot more comfortable in script CS just because they knew it. You know, you're just writing C-sharp code. Um, but I think PowerShell has a lot of benefits um, because it it simplifies a lot of things sort of thing, where you, you end up writing a lot less code to um, do the same thing than you would in uh, C-sharp. But 
I, I think it's kind of a case-to-case basis. I don't think you're ever going to have a nice, you know, pretty line in the sand that says, you know, use C-sharp here or PowerShell here sort of thing. Okay. Let's talk about Posh Tools, which is PowerShell tools for Visual Studio. So um, what is this and, and how does this help me out? Sure. Uh, it's a project I started about three years ago now. So one of the really surprising things that I found out when I first started working with PowerShell, being a developer, was that they didn't have PowerShell language support in Visual Studio. Um, which was just, yeah, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then I was like, maybe I should make it. <laughs> and then, uh, so I started working on that and I used, um, a lot of the Python tools for Visual Studio source code because it's open source and everything like that. So that kind of got me a framework going and, uh, pretty much what it does is it adds, uh, you know, language support, including uh, project system, debugging, uh, unit test adapter, that kind of thing. So, um, wow. Yes. It's pretty full featured. It does a lot more than the ISE does in terms of, uh, like debugging capabilities and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's got the call stack window and you can inspect variables just like you could with C sharp. Um, it has remote process debugging, so you can actually attach remote processes or, you know, processes running on other machines. Um, Earlier this year, I was working with Microsoft a little bit to get some of those scenarios uh, developed. So they wanted some stuff um, around Azure. So they were actually uh, contributing to the project um, to implement a bunch of that stuff. So they got 64-bit support in there. um, And then, yeah, some of that remote attaching stuff so you can actually attach to machines running up in the cloud. Okay. That's pretty cool to start a project and then have them help out on it. And So they're just sending, like, pull requests to you? That's yeah, cool. yeah, they forked it, and then they're just sending pull requests. So, yeah, it's been neat. I mean, they got a lot more done than I could have gotten <laughs> done by myself. So. Yeah, they have the, the tendency to bring the heavy lifting. Yeah, exactly. It's like all of a sudden it went from one guy to four guys. It's like, whoa. So, I mean, you glossed over quite a bit there with the debugging story, uh, which already, like, any kind of Visual Studio debugging is going to blow whatever you can do in the ISC out of the water. <laughs> Uh-huh. So, I mean, I, I'm assuming you get all the new Visual Studio goodness for free where, you know, the, the enhanced debugging tools where you can set like, you know, I, I want this breakpoint to only hit after it hits this breakpoint five times and stuff like that. Oh, I wish. All <laughs> that stuff is very manual. Yeah. Oh, is it? Oh. Yeah. The, the Visual Studio SDK is an interesting animal, I'd say, because a lot of that stuff you have to build by hand. I mean, um the, the the reason Visual Studio is 32-bit is it's a lot of old legacy com stuff. So you're you're halfway in between that world, halfway in between this managed world where you're, you know writing in C sharp and consuming stuff through MEF. Um, but yeah, you got to implement a lot of that stuff yourself. Like snippets, you'd think was you'd just get for free, um, that kind of thing. It's like nope. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So that's it, that's pretty crazy. It's so, a learning curve for sure. So. Yeah. So you cover Visual Studio. I'm just kind of curious now. I'm just thinking about other editors like um, Sublime Text, and you know, my favorite right now is Visual Studio Code. I know there's no there's currently no plugin system for that. Right. But um, you know, if I'm in like Sublime, does anybody have a plugin for that, or would somebody have to build that? No, there's there's syntax highlighting available, but okay. there's not any nothing close to what aware. you get in in your tool here. Right, or even ISE. ISE is still a better tool for that. Um, Visual Studio or Code has native PowerShell syntax highlighting, mm-hmm. um, but no debugging story right, right now. Right. So, okay. Um, yeah. So I, it'll come. It'll happen eventually. I think it's just you know, Code came out and they had a couple scenarios they wanted to target, and they just PowerShell wasn't one of them. So, okay. 
Yeah. So, so you also even mentioned that there's you can do kind of testing with PowerShell. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, uh, the there's a unit test project called Pester. It's a PowerShell module that you can actually download. It actually shipped inside Windows. It was one of the first open source projects to actually ship, ship inside Windows. So it came in Windows. Um, 10. So it's just built in. But you can also get it from GitHub if, you, if you're if you not running Windows 10. I like that's one of the first. It's like it was in Windows 10. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. That's really funny. It's still progress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it um, it's kind of a BDD style uh, unit test project. So you can create, you know, different describe blocks and then have different it blocks inside there that pretty much uh, assert on different things, just like you would inside any, you know, .NET unit test, except it's all in PowerShell. Um, and it's handy because you can, you know, write these tests, you can output them in NUnit format. So it'll actually be, it's consumable via, you know, like cruise control or TFS. Um, and they'll show up in your test reports and stuff like that. So the, what's built into Visual Studio or Posh Tools is a unit test adapter that works with Pester. So it'll actually go out and discover your Pester tests and allow you to execute them and that kind of thing. And then reports them in the, in the test explorer window. Okay. Now, what else am I going to get out of this? So do I get like, um, do I get IntelliSense while I'm writing? If, if I'm skipping ISE and I'm going straight to Visual Studio, I mean, do I, do I lose anything? Mm-hmm. Do I, you know, I'm just thinking about my actual experience. Do I still get all that same IntelliSense? Yep. This will get IntelliSense um, and like, you know, code folding and all that kind yeah. of thing. What so about pulling in other modules? So if I want to pull in the Azure commandlets? Uh, pretty much the way that works right now is you'd, or it's it's all built on the PowerShell SDK. So okay. a lot of that stuff comes from just using the PowerShell SDK. So there's actually a command completer class inside um, that SDK that both the ISE and Visual Studio use. So you should see the same thing show up inside Visual Studio as you would in the ISE. Oh, okay. Sort of thing. Well, that's nice that, that that's opened up then so that you can just piggyback on that and don't have to reinvent it. Exactly, right. So... Um, yeah, so that, that should all be a pretty similar experience sort of thing. So, okay. yeah, I think the, the biggest limitation we had for a really long time was 64 bit support, um, because Visual Studio is just 32 bit and we were hosting the runtime inside Visual Studio and there's lots of things that didn't work when you did that. But now, uh, as of two versions ago, we actually out of proct the Visual Studio PowerShell host. Um, so it can run 64 bit. So. So is there anything else you want to mention before we move on? Um, no, but if anyone ever wants to, you know, submit a pull request, I'd be really <laughs> <laughs> This is your last chance to get people excited about PowerShell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I find it very hard to get uh people to, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't want to learn the Visual Studio SDK. It's, you know, it's a it's definitely a mammoth uh Undertaking, so it's cool when people like, submit pull requests. <laughs> well, even I'm sure you know, even if people are just cleaning up things, yeah, or right. you know, I, I I always appreciate even those the, even the the smallest fixes. It all it all helps because it all saves me time. Cool, yeah. And so the the one last thing I'm going to mention, you know, so you know, we talked about Azure and and the PowerShell commandlets, and and I don't have an Azure pick of this week, so I'm <laughs> going to sort of make up for that <laughs> by you know, so the 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 Azure PowerShell commandlets, what they end up doing is they end up calling the APIs for you, and and I will tell you, like a lot of Azure functionality when it's being developed gets exposed through PowerShell first before the IDE is is written, um, so. The result of that is that 
pretty much anything you can do in PowerShell or in, uh, in, in, you know, through Azure can be done through the PowerShell scripts, which is, which is amazing. So anybody doing Azure, it's probably a good idea to learn the, the PowerShell because sometimes too, there's, there's hidden options in there. I've seen things that are exposed through those PowerShell scripts that you can't do any other way. Um, you know, cause, just cause they haven't been added to the GUI yet or to, to wherever. So for any type of Azure automation, it's just incredible. And then Carl, what do we have for the dev tip of the week? So we started off with one of the news items talking about images, and uh, this is along that same theme, optimizing PNG using a tool called PNG Distill. And one of the cool things about this is a lot of the PNG, uh, you know, optimizers, they optimize partially not only just for compression, but also compression time, which means you might not get every last bit of, you know, smallness out of your image when you're done. And this kind of makes that other trade-off. It goes and trades your time to get the smallest image. And the coolest thing about this tool is probably most of us already have it installed on our machines because it comes with Fiddler. So if you go into your Fiddler tools in in your install, uh, go to your tools folder, and there'll be uh, the PNG distill executable. And um, on the link that we're going to have in the show notes, they even show you how to automate uh, this tool from the command line. So you can run it on an entire folder or, you know, you know, they're not using PowerShell though. (laughs) They are not. (laughs) So, so it does fail there, but it wouldn't be hard to uh, execute this with PowerShell. So Adam will go in the comments and he'll uh, <laughs> yeah right he'll he'll put in the equivalent PowerShell. <laughs> yeah, I'll make a module. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Okay, yeah, because you want your PNGs to be as small as possible. Yeah, I, I, it's funny that most of them trade some time, or you know, like I. It seems like this isn't a very intensive operation. Like I have, I have more CPU power than what I need. So, but if you have a large website that has, you know, potentially sure. a few thousand images, you know, hitting them all would be you know, kind of time consuming. So you do have to kind of be smart on how this is done. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that one. Okay. So Adam, have you, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the game that we play on the show. We didn't play it last week. No. Um, so it's real easy. You don't know. That's why we don't, uh, we don't even warn our guests. Ahead of time. <laughs> it's called, you gotta be kidding. And it's, I'll warn you ahead of time. It's a, it's a kid's game. <laughs> so all I need to do is I need to pick a number between one and four inclusive. So you can pick one and you can also pick four. Well, or four. But you could pick two and three if you want. It's up to you. Uh, let's go with three. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm really? <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm trying to trying to explain it a different way to get people to like pick different numbers. Okay. While stranded at sea, would you rather be on a good, safe boat with no food or be in, on an old, worn-out raft but with a box of food? Mm, old, worn-out raft. I like an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Okay. See, I'd pick the, I'd pick the safe uh, boat with no food. Cause you can go a long time without food. Like people say like 11 days or something like that's, that's even like way underestimating it. Yeah. I made about two hours and then <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, ah, I don't feel like living. <laughs> just yeah. jump in the water. Depends upon, <laughs> it also depends upon if he just got done training for it. Yeah. I'm yeah. That's true. So true. Hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be crazy. Okay. Carl, number between one and four, uh, one, one. Okay. If you were shrunk to the size of a thimble, would you rather have to run across the playing area of a pinball machine during a game or across an air hockey table during a game? Well, they're both would, during a game. I would say pinball because you at least have control. I mean, if you're on the air yeah. hockey, you're going to be blown everywhere. Yeah, that's going to be crazy. Okay. Plus, plus those big <laughs> balls move way slower than those pucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, 
I'm trying. I'm trying to think. Right, of we like, also had Donovan Brown. We watched the videos of him play. I mean, that was just nuts. Yeah, I don't want to be on his air, air hockey table. But in, in pinball, I'm just thinking like, depending on so you're the size of a thimble, you know, you can you can like pretty much jump like the the height of yourself, right? So if a ball is coming, you could literally like jump out of the way, and I think you'd be okay. So I think I think the pinball is logically the safe choice. And, and it would be really cool as if it was an Indiana Jones pinball machine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So you're like running down the one path, right? And the ball's behind you. <laughs> Quite the imagination, Carl. Okay, so Adam, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, Adam Driscoll. Um, I have a website or my blog, which... It's just been updates for posh tools and stuff like that. I'll write about new stuff. And uh, it's csharpening.net. And um, to find all my... That's cool. Cool, <laughs> yeah, cool domain name. Somehow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if Google will pay money to me. <laughs> um, yeah, you never know. They can. Uh, yep. And then uh, my GitHub is Adam Driscoll is my account. You can find the posh tools repo and some of my other uh, repos out there. So. Okay. Yeah. I just searched for Bosch tools and that, and that came right up. So that's a, that's a very cool product. Thanks. And, uh, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at wpdevguy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Adam, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about yeah. PowerShell and, and making it exciting because uh, <laughs> it is it is really powerful. And I think anybody who hasn't taken a look at it, uh, now is the best time to start looking at it. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me on. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 